Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Portal Combat is in full force all across the country, but the dust is starting to settle a little bit on this portal cycle, barring some information coming out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Who won the portal? So far, at least. I know there's been a lot of movement, especially in Columbus, Ohio, which we're about to talk about, but who has won the portal to this point? We'll talk about it. Welcome into the Hard Count, the People's College Football Show. Every single day talking ball, but today it is Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. The last one on the face of this planet. Going to make it a movie, talking some portal. Also talking a little bit about your unpopular college football takes. I went to the Twitter sphere last night, put out a tweet, and said, what is a college football take that would be considered unpopular, but you strongly stand behind? And y'all answered in elite fashion. I think that tweet has over 100 responses right now, uh, north of like 50 quote tweets. I mean, y'all been crushing it. So that's pinned to my profile right now. So go and answer that. But we got a couple of your unpopular takes to unpack. And I don't know that all of them are uh, things that I disagree with. To be clear, I think some of y'all are actually on the money with some of those unpopular takes. Also, I don't know if y'all saw, but Tennessee landed an, another elite quarterback. Josh Heupel is confirmed a quarterback whisperer, landing George McIntyre, who's like 10 minutes down the road from where we're recording or where we're live right now, rather. What does it say about Tennessee and how they're continuing to stack top quarterbacks? Because Nico Iamaliabas from the 2023 class, Jake Merklinger is a four-star cat from the 2024 class. And now you add George McIntyre, who's a top three quarterback in the 2025 class. Vibes are high in Knoxville. How is Josh Heupel landing all these quarterbacks? We'll talk about that and give you our thoughts there. Uh, I also mentioned Ohio State, just to circle back. They've been crushing it in the portal. Over the weekend, land Caleb Downs on Friday night, the top player in the transfer portal. And then they land Julian Sain, who was the top quarterback from the 2024 cycle, who since Nick Saban retired, jumped in the portal in a matter of days, ends up signing with the Buckeyes. Why are they doing this? How are they doing this? And what do we say to all the folks that are watching this whole thing go down and say, well, they're just throwing them a bag. It's just NIL. That's, that's the only reason they're getting those players. They're just buying their roster. I don't know if we want to yell about being broke. I'll leave it at that. Um, also going to talk about what's going on in Michigan with Jim Harbaugh having a second date with the Chargers, having another interview lined up there. And I don't really want to dive too deeply into the whole Jim Harbaugh NFL conversation because we've done that a number of times on this show. Y'all know how we feel about that. We'll touch on it. But I want us to look ahead to the future and talk about who should be Michigan's next head coach. I think the answer is pretty simple. There is one name, though, that would be an outside hire that for whatever reason continues to get a little bit of traction here and there. I want us to unpack what that would look like if they were to go outside of the one person we think they should hire. So make sure you're subscribed. We put out the call to action on our last live show, and y'all answered in full force. We appreciate you for that. We have right around 70% of the audience that is not yet subscribed. And subscribing, one, totally free. Two, the reason why we ask for y'all to subscribe outside of growing the platform and growing our audience, it helps us get a better gauge for the content that y'all want to see. So the more that you subscribe, the more information we have to produce the content that you want to talk about the things that you care about, which is ultimately what the People's College Football Show is all about. 
Can't waste too much more time. Let's get right into it. The transfer portal winners to this point so far in this transfer portal cycle. There's been a lot of moving pieces with a lot of different coaches switching jobs. Nick Saban retires. Uh, it's been a transfer portal cycle unlike any other. But with that being said, I think one of the key transfer portal winners to this point has been the Texas Longhorns. And what they've done so well through the portal to me, Texas has done a phenomenal job in restocking the recipe. Because what have we said about Sark on this show for the longest time since our show's been in existence? If you give Steve Sarkeesian the tools for success, a la skill players, they will cook. They will score a lot of points. Those Steve Sarkeesian coach teams will do really good things. Adonai Mitchell last year, Xavier Worthy, Jatavian Sanders, they had some dudes. Jordan Whittington, they had some dudes catching the football for Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers obviously coming back. But a lot of those skill players gone to the NFL. So what does Steve Sarkeesian do? Goes to the portal and lands Isaiah Bond, lands Silas Bolden, lands Amari Nyblack, a stud tight end for you from Alabama. Like they got a lot of pieces now, along with Matthew Golden, who is probably a lesser known commodity nationally, but had two touchdowns against Texas wide receiver transfer from Houston. I think they're very excited about him. And then defensively, you go land one of the top safeties in the portal and Andrew Makuba. So this Texas roster was already in pretty good condition, but the way they were active in acquiring weapons for Quinn Ewers, for this Steve Sarkeesian offense, their first year in the SEC, I love it. Ooh, I love it. I love it from a Texas Longhorns fan. Should be a lot of points scored yet again on the 40 acres. Now, another winner in the transfer portal, and they've, they've done it pretty quietly, actually, is the good folks not too far from here in Jack Harlow country, Louisville, the number one transfer portal class, according to us here at On3. Right now, they're just running it back what they did a season ago. Last year, they had 27 transfers. 27. That's darn near a third of your roster being transfers. Coach Brom says, you know what, we'll do it again. 24 transfers so far in the class of 2023. And it hasn't just been quantity, y'all. It's been quality. Guys like Tyler Barron, who is a stud for Tennessee in the SEC. Guys like Ja'Cory Brooks who was a highly touted prospect, had some moments at Alabama. They look for him to put it together in the Ville. Tyler Shuck, hey, no time like lucky number year seven, baby. I'm all for it. As long as they let you play ball, brother, you play ball. And it's a guy with experience, uh, a guy who you would hope is able to succeed in this Coach Brom style of offense. Penny Boone, guy who ran for over 1,400 yards in some action. Like They got some key pieces here along with a number of others that I hadn't named because there's 24 of them, so we can't get to all of them. But like for me, the thing with Louisville here, the way they're attacking the portal, there's no ambiguity with what they're competing for. Like anytime you're active in the portal, you are pushing to be competitive. And so to go after 20 plus new transfers yet again, like there, there is no mistaking what the standard is. It is let's compete for conference championships and let's do it right now. Yes, we're going to recruit well at the high school level. That's obviously a goal for all these teams across the board. You'd have to believe. But for Louisville being like, hey, listen, 20-plus new guys, bring them in. Let's win right now. Like, I love that aggression from my staff if I'm a Louisville fan. So Louisville, again, the number one portal class in the country. They've been heavy on the transfer side of things from a quantity standpoint, but also doing a good job with the quality for the good folks out there in Louisville. Not Louisville, in Louisville. So shouts to y'all. Uh, Ole Miss, we've talked about them a lot on this show. We're going to talk about them again. This is Lane Kiffin, yet again, or not yet again, but I mean most definitively, I would say to this point, this is Lane Kiffin pushing the chips to the middle of the table and saying, we're all in on 2024, baby. We are all in. 
And there's not that final boss level for them to have to beat now of, you know, you got to get out of the SEC West because, again, no more divisions now, right? Nick Saban's retired. So the climb to the college football playoff to a national championship, we'll talk more about that later. The climb is probably more steep with more teams in the playoff because you got to win more playoff games. But in terms of making the playoff, the path has never been wider. And you look across the SEC with what Ole Miss has coming back, the door feels like it's propped open. So by nature of what Lane Kiffin has done to go and attack the portal and bring top talent into Oxford, they're looking to kick it down. All right, going to land in a guy like Walter Nolan, like Prince Lee Uman Mielin, two players on the defensive line that are top 10 in the country, top 10 players in the country in the portal. Um, Juice Wells, stud receiver at South Carolina. You know what you're getting with him. Proven commodity, going to be a dude for you. Logan Diggs. You lose Quinshawn Judkins to the portal. You go out and grab Logan Diggs, a guy from LSU, also played at uh, Notre Dame, productive back. You couple that with what I just said a second ago, bringing back Jackson Dart, bringing back Trey Harris. If they're better in the trenches and they elevate offensively, y'all, the sky's the limit for Ole Miss. I'm just telling you, Lane Kiffin is being active in the portal because that's who he is, but he's being extra active in the portal right now because I think he smells blood in the water. Like, that shark emoji is a lot of fun because that's what Ole Miss does. They throw up the land shark stuff. Like, that's cool. It's, it's uh, kind of a brand for them. It could double as Ole Miss kind of sensing this is the year for them to frenzy. So, Ole Miss, definitely a portal winner to this point, at least. I don't anticipate that changing as long as Lane Kiffin's running things out there in Oxford. Uh, Oregon, another portal winner for us here. This is a new era of Oregon football under Dan Lanning. And we've said that a couple times here because of the brand of football they play, being tough in the trenches. But think back to Oregon teams when Mark Helfrich was the head coach and Chip Kelly was the head coach. And those teams were great in their own right. I mean, heck, Marcus Mariota won a a Heisman Trophy under Mark Helfrich, competed for a national title. Those teams did some good things. But those teams specifically, they competed with a lot of players that were of the three-star caliber or were, you know, a four-star, maybe the occasional five-star. But for the most part, it was what you would call our kind of guys. Like, hey, they may not have all the big Power 5 offers, but we offer them, we bring them in, we develop them, and we succeed because of them. That's great. I'm all here for that. Like, hey, yours truly, I wasn't a three. I wasn't even a three. I was like a two-star, dude. Like, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that Oregon, uh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I, I was probably closer to the variety of a player that Oregon maybe would have gone after. Again, they did not go after me, but the point I'm trying to make here is Oregon is no longer winning with three stars. Oregon is winning with the very best talent they can get possible. And by what they've done in the portal, that's a pretty good example of it. A top 10 portal clash to this point. Not one, but two top quarterbacks from the portal. Dylan Gabriel for next year from Oklahoma. Dante Moore for the future. Both dudes you feel very comfortable with running your offense. Also, you went out and got the best wide receiver available. Some would probably argue the best offensive skill player available. And Evan Stewart from Texas A&M. That was a huge pickup. Also, some key secondary ads. Kobe Savage from Kansas State. The thing I want to make sure we say here is, I think Oregon, by nature of what they've done in the portal, not just this year, but last year as well, they're built for modern college football. You got the brand power of that O that everybody across the country understands and knows. Oh, that's the team with the flash uniforms. That's the team that Phil Knight endorses. Yes, that's the team. They're really good at football. To go with that, they have the resources now. From NIL perspective, we understand what they are with the Nike money, with Phil Knight helping with that whole thing. Like They are getting a lot of yeses, according to Dan Lanning. Not just in the NIL perspective, but also in the resources. Across the board, you have what you need there. And then to, te- you know, to cap it all off there, you got a head coach in Dan Lanning who is aggressive. He's going to push the envelope. 
He's from the Nick Saban, Kirby Smart coaching tree. Like, he understands. We can have the X's and the O's all we want, but we want to win at the highest level. We got to have better players than you. And so by nature of what he's doing through the portal, going and attacking that, definitely a portal winner and would fire me up if I'm a fan in Eugene today. Now, here's a team that hasn't been talked about quite as much when it comes to the transfer portal. Georgia Bulldogs. You're saying, J.D., Georgia? Not really a, a portal player necessarily, are they? Also, didn't they miss on Caleb Downs? Yes, they did miss on Caleb Downs. I wouldn't necessarily say that Georgia's somehow a portal loser because they didn't land the top player in the portal itself. You look at what they did. Georgia was fairly surgical, in my opinion, in how they had attacked the portal. Because to be clear, everyone approaches the portal differently. And Georgia, with how well they recruit at the high school level, like they are stocked with top two classes to the gills. So what they have to meet from a needs perspective is different than maybe some of these other teams that are trying to overhaul and go for a larger volume of transfers. But in terms of who they landed, man, one of the top backs in the country in Trevor Etienne, a proven commodity in the SEC who's got a tremendous yards per carry, somewhere around six yards a game, or excuse me, six yards a carry uh, on his career. Uh, London Humphreys, Colby Young, Michael Jackson, a little thriller action there for you. Three solid wide receivers that are going to complement Carson Beck this upcoming season. You needed pass catchers. You go and get three pretty good ones that are going to have, I think, a high, uh, high upside for you in that offense. And then talk about missing on Caleb Downs. Y'all, you landed another state from Alabama and Jake Pope, who was a four-star in his own right out of high school. Like, we say this a lot on here. Just because you didn't play at Alabama as a starter, like, consistently, doesn't mean you can't still play some ball. And Traveris Robinson was with Jake Pope at Alabama. If he brings Jake Pope from Alabama to Georgia, someone who has a tremendous knowledge of that player, think about what that says about Jake Pope. So it would have been nice to land Caleb Downs, but in terms of this portal hall for Georgia, had a couple of spots they wanted to fill. It looks like, and from what I can tell, they did that with tremendous quality. That's the big, the big word here for Georgia, the quality of what Georgia attacked there. Really, really good shape. Florida State... Hey, man, same song, second verse. Every single year for the Knowles, man, trust the process. 13 transfers in last year. At the time of us being live, 14 transfers so far this year. Went and got a transfer quarterback in DJ Uwe Ungalale. I'm excited for the resurgence of him in the ACC. And they went and got a lot of other quality players. Like, of those 14 transfers, 13 are from a power conference. So they're not just going and landing anybody and everybody who will take, you know, their, their chance on the Knowles. Like, no, they're going out and finding top players. Most notably, five of those 14 transfers from Alabama. Same thing was said about Jake Pope. Same thing true about these dudes from Bama. Roy Dale Williams, the running back. Malik Benson, the wide receiver. Both dudes that I think are primed to really have successful 2024 campaigns. Just because they didn't have their breakout year at, at Alabama last year doesn't mean they can't be extremely successful in Tallahassee. Uh, just to be clear here, uh, Malik Benson was a guy during spring football and fall camp that we were talking about being the number one guy for Bama in that wide receiver room. So his ability, man, it speaks for itself. Didn't totally come together last year, but if you've got the tools for success and Florida State has proven they will give you that as a transfer, it's on you. So the ability there is not lacking Florida State using the portal as well as anybody else in the country. Yet again, uh, Marvin Jones Jr., also a former five-star edge defender, taking his talents to Tallahassee. Like, Florida State's in good shape. So I'm excited to see what they do there. Continuing to use the portal, not to overhaul the roster, but as a weapon to make their roster better in modern college football. Now, here's the team we're going to talk about here a little bit more lengthy in a second. But Ohio State, man, like, the thing that I appreciate about them 
with how they've attacked the portal is what they've done in the portal 100% needs. Like, did Ohio State need another safety in Caleb Downs? Well, you lose Josh Proctor, so yeah, it would have been nice to pick up another safety, but you also understand, like, you had Sonny Styles coming back. You had Lathan Ransom coming back. You didn't need to go land another transfer from a safety position. Julian saying the quarterback from the 2024 class, the top quarterback in that cycle, Ohio State's quarterback room is stacked. You didn't need to go add another quarterback. Quinshawn Judkins, top running back in the portal. Travion Henderson, he's coming back. They didn't need to go land another running back. But Ohio State here, they are aligning their actions with their goals. Their goal is to compete for a national championship. At this point, as we sit here in January of 2024, the best way to help yourself compete for a national championship is have a national championship caliber roster. We'll worry about everything during spring football with how it comes together and how it meshes and who gets what reps and who's wearing the depth chart. like that. That will all take care of itself. But right now, we are in the molding stage. So before we get to molding it, we got to have the very best clay possible to get to where we want to go. So we got more thoughts here on Ohio State in a second, but I just want to make sure we, we get on the same page here. Winning is a year-round thing. Year-round thing. And that's fun to say. It's fun to put on a t-shirt. But like you look at the college football calendar, it's true. You got to win in the recruiting side of things, landing a top class. Then you have to win during spring football, getting the most out of your 15 practices. Before that, you got to win in winter conditioning. And now in college football, you got to win in the transfer portal. Ohio State, I believe, has won on the recruiting trail. Landing Jeremiah Smith, hanging on to Edric Houston. Now they're winning in the portal. It's going to be about spring. It's going to be about this winter phases for them to set themselves up for success in 2024. But overall, man, those for me, maybe not all-encompassing, but just sort of at a broad strokes, some of the portal winners to this point in the transfer portal cycle. And we'll see what happens here, man, because there could be some news now in Ann Arbor, Michigan with Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers and all that. Like, we're kind of on our, uh, on our toes now watching what could happen across the board in, uh, in the portal world. Because we understand now, if Jim Harbaugh were to leave for the NFL, that would open up the floodgates yet again if they would like it to. I say if they would like it to. That would open up the floodgates for the good folks uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan to have a 30-day window to enter the transfer portal. But alas, we'll see what happens there. Uh, make sure you're subscribed. We appreciate you for that as we move on here across this show. Y'all are the ones that make this show, so we appreciate you being a part of it. And uh, we had a lot of y'all reach out over the weekend talking about what Ohio State has done in the portal. And I want us to unpack that a little bit right now. We talked about it in a one-off video yesterday, but I want us to talk about it here in a live format. Ohio State has been crushing the portal, y'all. They've been crushing the transfer portal. Portal combat going on in Columbus. And most notably over the weekend, you landed the top player in the transfer portal in Caleb Downs. Safety from Alabama. Do it all kind of cat for you. And then you also landed the top quarterback from the 2024 cycle who was already enrolled and going through practice at Alabama. Nick Saban retires. He's like, hey, listen, I moved my entire life from California to Alabama to play for Nick Saban. I'm going to look for somewhere else to play. And so he ends up transferring to Ohio State. To me, this is Ryan Day stuffing the suitcase as much as possible. Think about it this way. Ohio State, the 2024 season is national championship or bust. Period. Like that was the goal even before they made these portal acquisitions. But by nature of how they've attacked the portal, that pressure is just continuing to ratchet up. I haven't even talked about Will Howard, who they landed through the portal, who's going to be their quarterback for them this season. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins, I believe the top running back via the portal. 
It's going to probably get a, a healthy dose of carries along with Trevion Henderson this season. I think they have the best running back duo in the country. But going back to that whole conversation around stuffing the suitcase, like Ohio State is packing for a journey to the national championship. And to be real, you don't know what it's going to take throughout the course of your season until you get there. And so just like you would when you're packing for a trip, like it's better to have it and not need it. So Ohio State, what they're trying to do right now is just pack the suitcase as full as humanly possible to where you have to like sit on top of that thing to zip it up so they're set for whatever the college football season throws at them. And I think the fun take that we've heard across the board here is, well, this is Michigan and what they've done winning the national championship, you know, applying more pressure to Ryan Day and going 0-3 these last three years. Like, I don't think that's necessarily untrue. I think that's probably a part of it. But I think as much as Michigan is creating pressure for Ohio State, I think it's been a tremendous filter for Ohio State to figure out what they need to do. Because think about the last three tries for Ohio State against Michigan. They haven't had what they needed in November. The first two tries, it was, hey, our defense is not nearly good enough. We're getting run up and down the field. We have to be better on defense. So what do they do? Ryan Day, credit to him, adapts, hires Jim Knowles. Takes a couple of seasons, but that defense becomes a top five, top 10 unit in the country. Okay, so then you go and play Michigan in Ann Arbor. Well, what happens? They got the ball. They're driving as Ohio State to have a chance to win the football game against Michigan. The offense can't come up with it. So what were they missing? What did they need in that suitcase? Elite quarterback play. They didn't have it. And so for Ohio State now, as much as Michigan probably is applying some pressure for them to up the ante a little bit, the pressure is always enormous in Columbus. Like, anytime your standard is to go undefeated and win the national championship, that's the standard. Like, like not, not the, the podium that you're reaching for, not like the overachievement. That's the standard, what they expect. Like, of course, the pressure is immense. And so what Michigan, I think, has forced them to do is self-evaluate and say, okay, we need to have the very best roster possible, have this suitcase packed all the way full to where when we get in that situation again against Michigan, we have what we need. We're not going to be rummaging around saying, oh, we don't have elite quarterback play. Oh, our defense isn't good enough. Oh, we don't have the right safety play. It's not going to be the case for them this year, or at least that's the way they're approaching this thing by how they've attacked the transfer portal and also attacked the recruiting trail. Jeremiah Smith, number one player in the country, going to be a dog for them. Um, also, let's talk about this too, because I think Julian's saying him committing to Ohio State, you probably felt a couple of different emotions if you're an Ohio State fan. One, you're fired up. Hey, the top cat from 2024 just committed to us? Oh, yeah, let's roll, baby. We're set for a while now. Then the other side of y'all started to think, whoa, okay, well, I'm just doing the math here. And I understand the law of transfers and quarterbacks, like having five cats in that room. Walker Howard, or Walker Howard, Will Howard, shout out Walker Howard, though. Uh, Will Howard, Devin Brown, Lincoln Keenholtz, Air Noland, and Julian Sayan. That's a lot of dudes that all expect to play. Not to mention, Aaron Nolan and Julian Sane are in the exact same class, so you would have to believe like it's going to be tough to keep all those dudes on our roster, correct? I, w I have a couple of thoughts. First, I think at least for spring football, all these dudes understand what they've signed up for. From what I've heard, Aaron Nolan is locked in. He's like, listen, iron sharpens iron. Let's get after it. So you love that from your quarterbacks. The other part of this, though, for those of you thinking, is this going to blow our quarterback room up, having Julian Sane in the mix now? I don't know if I would look at it that way. Let's just kind of walk through the worst case scenario and say, okay, eventually somebody does leave. I don't know who it would be, but let's just say somebody does leave at some point in time from that quarterback room at Ohio State. What would that tell you 
about the number of reps they're more than likely getting behind closed doors. Right? That sounds like natural selection to me. And that doesn't mean whoever leaves can't play. It just means that somebody else gives you a better chance to win football games to where they're getting more reps during the week. That's how it works, right? Like that's, that's not anybody's fault. It's just the way that it works. So I think the competitive pressure that's going to be applied to this quarterback room every single day, it's going to squeeze everybody. But to the exact same token, man, it's going to get the best out of everybody. And so in that way, whoever takes the field for you, whether it's, you know, after this year, obviously, Will Howard's your guy, but whether it's next year, it's Julian Sane or it's Evan Brown or it's Lincoln Keenholz or it's Aaron Olin, like whoever it is, they will have earned that by going through the gauntlet every day in practice against one, that really talented Buckeye defense, but two, against everybody they have to compete with in that quarterback room, in meetings, in position drills, during scrimmages, like they will have earned the right to play quarterback at Ohio State. So will it blow the quarterback room up? I, I don't think I'd look at it that way necessarily. Now, one more thing we've got to talk about here. We talked about it on the live show or on the video yesterday. I want to talk about it right now on the live show since we're all here together. Um, there is there is a phrase or, or a, an argument that's always made for different fan bases whenever an opposing fan base starts to land top talent through the portal. The thought is, well, hey, they landed that player because they threw him an NIL back. Well, hey, they, they're only getting him because they bought him. That's the phrase you, you hear a lot on Twitter. And the thing I would say back to that is like, is that not modern college football right now? Is that not the world we're living in right now? I understand the thought behind like, oh, well, they're not committing there for the system. No, they're committing there because they're getting a pretty attractive NIL package that probably factors in. I'm not saying that's the case for any of these guys that Ohio State's landing because I don't know the specific situation. But I think what we have to talk through here is let's just let's just assume that is the case let's assume that the nil package is what's helping land a lot of these top guys is that not just money well spent if it turns out to be a national championship for ohio state if one of those guys ends up making the game winning play for ohio state to beat michigan is that not just a good investment because right now, if you're doing it within the rules, and NIL is a factor to help you land these top kids or a, a top factor to attract these top kids, like, I think that's just modern college football. So what I said yesterday, and I'll say again right now, either use the portal with NIL, two factors that are very, very real in college football right now, or have it used against you. Period. The end. Like, I don't want to speak to Clemson and what they're doing from an NIL standpoint, because I just don't know, but we're seeing them not use the portal. So what's happening? They're getting passed by teams that do use the portal. Florida State, a portal active team, just beat Clemson at Clemson this past year with the game-winning touchdown being by a wide receiver who you have to imagine had some NIL package that helped attract him to Florida State. More power to him. More power to him. Play by the new rules or get passed. And Ohio State's saying, okay, these are the new rules. Okay, we have folks that are in our corner here that can help us have the NIL resources to land top guys, let's get after it then. Let's go. So I love it. I wouldn't yell about being broke either, just to be honest. I wouldn't maybe shout, oh, they just bought him. If that's the case, if you're implying that it was solely about NIL and they were going to the highest bidder, that means your school could have got him too. But they didn't pony up what they were supposed to pony up. I'm not saying that's the case here, but I'm saying if that's the theoretical you want to walk through, I don't know that always reflects the best way that you would like it to. So food for thought there. But Ohio State killing the portal. 
Landon Caleb down, Landon Julian saying, we talked about Will Howard and Quinshawn Judkins, like they're rolling. They're absolutely rolling, and they are packing for success in 2024. And if NIL is a part of it, money well spent, more power to them. That's all we have to say about that. And make sure you like the video while you're here. Uh, for those of y'all saying, hey, why are you always telling me to like the video? Uh, same thing with subscribing. Just the more that you do it, it gives us a better gauge for what kind of content you want to see. And also, it just boosts the platform as a whole and helps the algorithm. So thank you for that. Appreciate y'all supporting the program and making that happen. And uh, we'll keep a good thing going here. Now, speaking of a good thing going and speaking of the program, we had a, a tweet that we put out last night. And I asked y'all, what is your most unpopular college football take that you strongly believe in? And so I put that out, put my phone down, wasn't sure what kind of response it would get. And y'all answered in elite fashion. I mean, north of 100 replies, multiple quote tweets, a lot of great responses here. So I want to go through a few of these, but I just want to make sure we mention this. Uh, that tweet is pinned to my profile. We will do a segment like this, I think, for the foreseeable future. So I want to hear your unpopular takes. We all got them. We all strongly stand behind them. I'll probably tell you some of mine in the future. You probably already heard some of mine already, but um, just a lot of fun. So I want to get I want to get after this here a little bit together. Uh, first one up here, unpopular college football take that my man strongly believes in here is Richard Powell. And his take is high school recruiting doesn't matter much anymore. So I think what he's implying here is with the evolution of the portal, we're seeing less and less players stay at their specific place they signed to out of high school. So to be fair, 41 five-star prospects from the 2020 to 2024 have hit the portal. That's a lot. That is a lot. I think I saw a number the other day that somewhere north of uh, 29, 30% of players of the top 100 had hit the portal since 2021 or 2020. I could, be butchering, I could be butchering that stat. The bottom line is it's tough to keep some of your top prospects if they don't play right away. So I don't think what Richard's saying here is totally outrageous, but I think the way that I would phrase it is it's not that high school recruiting doesn't matter anymore. I think the game is just expanding when it comes to talent acquisition. Like, I think it's no longer good enough to just high school recruit. I think you have to high school recruit and also portal recruit. I think that's the game you have to play now. So it's not that it doesn't matter. It's just that the portal now can matter in some cases as much. What I would say, though, is the teams that compete for national championships, the Georgias, the Michigans, historically the Alabamas, those are teams that they don't overhaul their roster via the portal, but they use the portal as a tool, right? Like the, the best metaphor for me is like groceries versus eating out. Like if you eat out every single meal, that's fine, but you understand after you eat out for lunch, it's only a matter of time before you have to eat out for dinner and you're going to be hungry again pretty soon. So you have to keep on eating out consistently to where you have to make sure that you're you know, getting what you need from a nutrition standpoint. If you have groceries though, you go to the grocery store, you stock up, you have everything that you need in house. So if you eat breakfast, that's cool. Go back to the pantry, make yourself something for lunch. No problem. You have sustainability. If you want to live through the portal, which we're seeing some teams try to do, and more power to them to try to do that, but if you live through the portal and overhaul your roster every offseason, it's only a matter of time before you have to overhaul the roster yet again. Why? Because when you go through the portal, you don't have the same kind of eligibility more often than not than some teams that are recruiting at the high school level. So I think having a solid base at the high school level is how most teams want to exist and how most successful teams exist. 
But if you want to use the portal as a tool, that's equally as important. I mean, how, how many teams did we see this past season take a tremendous leap forward because of what they did in the portal? Texas adding Adonai Mitchell. Quinn Ewers at quarterback. I know he's a second-year guy, but they made a big leap because of what they did in the portal with those guys. Look at Michigan. They, they won the national championship. And no, they didn't necessarily overhaul the roster, but they did take double-digit transfers this past portal cycle that contributed in a big way on the line of scrimmage for them. You look at uh, Washington, Michael Penix Jr., again, another second-year portal guy, but Washington is not in the national championship game if they don't go to the portal and land their quarterback. Like, it's, it's a great thing to get you over the top. Florida State, they were undefeated because of Keon Coleman, Jaheim Bell, Fentrell Cypress played a great part. Um, Johnny Wilson was a second-year transfer guy. Like, you have to at least, uh, Jared Verse, a transfer guy. Like, I'm all over the map here, but you understand, the portal can get you over the hump. I don't think it's the, the way that you want to live every single season. I love eating out as much as anybody, but the sustainable way to go about it is getting groceries, keeping it in-house, then every now and then, you want to get something nice, you, you want to give yourself a nice meal, go to the portal, get the best you can find. Or maybe if you don't have groceries in the house at that point in time, you go to the meal, or you go to get a meal out for that one meal. You hear what I'm saying? I think it's a great tool. I don't think it's the way that you want to live your life necessarily. So Richard Powell, high school recruiting not mattering. I have a harder time getting behind. But I do think that it's important now to not just high school recruit, but also recruit via the portal. So appreciate that unpopular take. Appreciate you putting yourself out there, Richard, and getting this party started. Uh, next unpopular take, actually, from the good folks at WeRSC. USC is on uh, the On3 USC site that we have. If you haven't you got a membership over there, would encourage you to do so. Scott Schrader and company crushing the USC coverage. WeRSC, I don't know who tweeted this out, but the uh, whoever runs the account over there, their unpopular take is that Lincoln Riley will win a national championship at USC by age 45. For context, Lincoln Riley is currently 40 years old. Now, there's going to be a lot of vicious reaction to this because Lincoln Riley's a polarizing figure. USC was in the headlines a lot this year for underachieving. I understand that. The reactionary take will be, you haven't won a playoff game. You're telling me he's going to win a national championship and we add more playoff games to the college football playoff format? Doesn't even play defense. Doesn't, doesn't even play. You're telling me that he doesn't even have a defense year in and year out. You're expecting him to win a national championship in five years? Other people are saying, well, he's going to take an NFL job. He's not sticking around for this. There's no way he wants to be at USC long term. You can go to the NFL, be a coordinator, be a head coach, not have to worry about recruiting and this vicious calendar. Like, I understand all those thoughts. I won't even say those takes are unfair, but I do think those takes are incomplete because when you take a step back at this, historically talking about Lincoln Riley not having a defense, he sure as heck has had an offense. <laughs> USC has definitely had an offense consistently with Lincoln Riley being your head coach. Now you lose Caleb Williams, so I'm not pretending that won't be you know a question mark of sorts of what, Willer, what, what Miller Moss brings to the table. But the way that I look at this, you can look at it glass half full or glass half empty. Glass half full says they have no defense. Or, excuse me, glass half empty says they have no defense. Glass half full says they're halfway there. They've had a championship offense multiple years at USC. And with how they're restructuring that defensive staff, I've said it before on here, I'm still in wait and see mode on USC and what they are defensively. They made some big hires. Danton Lynn from UCLA going to be the D.C., Eric Henderson from the NFL ranks going to help be the co-DC there. Like, 
They've made some good philosophical hires. I think the, philo the philosophy at USC still has to be solidified, if that makes sense. Like, they still have to prove that they're a defensive team in some respects or have something to show on the defensive side of the football. But, like, if all it takes is a defense, and you're giving me a five-year runway, why not? Why not USC? Why not Lincoln Riley? Because as much as, and we said this earlier in the show, as much as the path to a national championship is becoming more steep because the conference realignment game is changing how, you know, your regular season schedule is. You probably have to win more games. Not probably. You do have to win more games to win a national championship now. The path is also becoming wider. Like long gone are the days where you have to win your conference and be undefeated or have one loss to make the college football playoff to be in the dance. USC, if they win 10 games in the Big Ten, they go 10-2, and two, they're in the dance. Probably not an auto bid, but they're in the dance. They have a shot at the whole thing. So if they were to evolve in the correct way that Ryan Day has evolved Ohio State, up in his defensive ante a little bit, Lincoln Riley's always going to attract top quarterbacks. Lincoln Riley, you feel pretty confident trusting the history of, of what he's done there. They're always going to have a pretty solid offense. It sounds crazy when you say it out loud at first, but then you walk it out a little bit more. If you're halfway there and you give them five years, if they adapt the right way, it's not that wild to assume that if Lincoln Riley stays at USC, they could win a national championship. I'm not predicting it right now, but you talk about an unpopular take. I see why it's unpopular, but I don't think it's that far off the map to think that it's possible if they are going to adjust the right way defensively. This year will be really, really telling, I think, with this new staff. Made some great hires. Big fans of the hires they've made on the defensive side of the football. But I'm waiting for a little bit more to get excited about it from USC on that side of the football. But not too wild. One more unpopular opinion here for you from our guy Chapo. And he says, Kalen DeBoer is going to take over the SEC and make Alabama rise to dominance again. He says he thinks he's going to win multiple championships. That is his unpopular college football take that he strongly stands behind. So to be fair, there's some thought behind this being unpopular because he hasn't been in the SEC yet and all that. We'll get to that. Kalen DeBoer has won everywhere he's been. As a head coach, 104-12. and 12. <laughs> Okay, like that doesn't happen accidentally. <laughs> you don't luck your way into 104-12. and 12. That's ridiculous. And I said it before when they hired him. As a coach, purely from an X's and O's standpoint, if that was all it came down to, I have zero reservations about Kalen DeBoer at Alabama. Zero. If it's just about coaching football, I think he's one of the best in the game. And I don't think that that's that much of a discussion. However, here's where this becomes unpopular, and here's where I have an issue with this whole take. Bama has been Alabama in a lot of ways, because of Nick Saban, absolutely. What he's brought to that program and the way that he's built that thing over the course of multiple years, absolutely Nick Saban is the, the foundation of what they've been. But what Nick Saban has brought to Alabama consistently is elite-level recruiting. Top two classes. Every single year at Alabama, pretty much, for Nick Saban. So my concern for Kalen DeBoer is not can he recreate that. My concern is can he recruit well enough in the SEC and out-recruit and out-coach the guys that he's up against? Because I think well enough for Alabama will have to be somewhere in the top five when it comes to well enough recruiting to win national championships. And again, just look at who he's up against in the SEC. It's going to be a, a tough, tough task. Because you have guys that are not just great coaches, but also great recruiters in the SEC and have some stability there with recruiting. Kirby Smart is the obvious one at Georgia. 
X's and O's, they're not lacking. They're definitely not lacking when it comes to recruiting. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian on the doorstep of back-to-back top three classes at Texas. And they've got momentum with the college football playoff appearance. Hugh Freeze, say what you want about Auburn. Hugh Freeze is going to recruit. He's a dog on the recruiting trail. Lane Kiffin, is he killing it on the high school level when it comes to recruiting? Not necessarily, but you better believe he's going to have a roster stocked with talent via the portal. Brian Kelly, dude doesn't lose football games. North of 70% win percentage on his career. He's been coaching a long time. A lot was said about him not recruiting when he got to Baton Rouge. Right now he's got two top 10 classes. So I understand the thought that Kalen DeBoer could do it. I'm just saying you have to out-recruit and out-coach all of those guys on a somewhat consistent basis to win multiple national championships. So for that reason, I have some concern. Now, I will say this. The first year for Kalen DeBoer in Tuscaloosa, that's going to be really important in the sense of they're going to have to stabilize the optics in Tuscaloosa. Because I think everybody's got a strong opinion on Kalen DeBoer right now. Whether you're my guy Chapo saying he's going to win multiple national titles, or whether you're somewhere on the other side of the spectrum saying, Kalen DeBoer, he's going to go 8-4 and four every single year, be fired in three years. You see what I'm saying here? So if Alabama can go out and win 10 games this year, don't even have to win the SEC, just look competitive against Georgia, make the college football playoff as an at-large bid, and to be clear, 10 wins will do that if you're Alabama, and just stabilize what people think about you at Alabama. That's going to help the recruiting side of things, kind of help keep that pipeline Maybe not intact, but keep it more stable from the high school level to Alabama and then be able to sort of build from there. So the first couple years here, it it may not be a disaster for Kalen DeBoer, but I do think it's going to take some recalibration for Alabama fans, at least. I think it's going to take a second for them to get on board with, okay, Nick Sam is not here anymore. It's kind of that, that same feeling when your parents drop you off at college and it's like, whoa, okay, I'm, I'm not going back to my bedroom anymore. I'm not going into the kitchen just grabbing a snack whenever I feel like it. Like, there is a brand new normal now in Tuscaloosa. And what that looks like remains to be seen. But I have my, uh, have my reservations. But at the same time, again, dude has won every single place he's been. So I don't think I'll bet against Kalen DeBoer. But again, like what I said about USC, I am in wait-and-see mode. Same thing about USC's defense. Same thing is true about Kalen DeBoer. I need to see it from the recruiting side of things. So those are your unpopular college football takes. Get at me on Twitter. Again, that tweet is pinned to my profile, at J.D. Paquel. Y'all knocked it out of the park. We got a lot still that we haven't gotten to that we're going to get to tomorrow. Um, But get at me on there. We're looking through those on a consistent basis and uh, just a fun way for us to make y'all a part of the show. So we appreciate y'all for that. All right, rolling right along here. Again, if you're watching live right now, make sure you subscribe. And if you're watching via podcast or you're a podcast person, uh, go ahead and uh, go ahead and leave us a review there and a five-star rating as well. We appreciate you so much for that. So just down the road from us, a top quarterback in the country, top three quarterback in the country, George McIntyre, gave his verbal commitment to the Tennessee Volunteers. That was massive. Massive for a number of reasons for the 2025 class. One, George McIntyre is a dude. Okay, like I said, he plays like 10 minutes away from where we're live right now. Smooth in every single sense of the word. As an athlete, as a thrower of the football, like I went and watched him play against Brentwood, a little crosstown rival action. And watching that dude in warmups, I mean, it's just effortless watching him throw the football. He's throwing the ball like 30 yards, which is perfect arc, right in the bread basket. Like, dude, is smooth. Also a good athlete. I mean, he's six foot six-ish, and he can get up there and throw it down as a basketball player. So 
A lot of reason to be excited and a very obvious why he's a top three quarterback in the country in the class of 2025. Now has a full calendar year, more or less, until that early signing period to try and bring some guys with him to Knoxville. So from a macro level, let's just call a spade a spade here. Josh Heupel is really freaking good at recruiting quarterbacks. Nico Iamaliava from the 2023 class, our top player here at on three from that cycle. Jake Merklinger from the 2024 cycle, another stud. And now George McIntyre from the 2025 class. Why is Josh Heupel so good at recruiting quarterbacks? Why is he consistently knocking it out of the park at that position group? I think there's a couple of factors to this, but I think probably most importantly, Josh Heupel is able to speak the language for these quarterback recruits. And what I mean by that is playing quarterback at the collegiate level, the pressures and the complexities that come with that, man, I think it's like any, it's unlike anything else in sports. And so to have your head coach as he recruits you, be able to speak in those terms and within that context of understanding. There's a study that shows that understanding is one of the focal points of building a relationship. And what is recruiting about? People in the back row are shouting, NIL. Does that play a part? Sure. But at the end of the day, I still believe recruiting is about relationships. And so for Josh Heupel to be able to have a unique relationship with these quarterbacks, saying, hey, I played at a high level. I get what it's like. I know what it's like at Tennessee. You think anybody has more pressure on their shoulders in Knoxville than the head coach? So to be able to have that back and forth in that relationship, I think is a big factor in why they're landing some of these top guys, and most recently, George McIntyre. Now to go with that, what is another key piece of these kids when it comes to recruitment? Back row, once again, shouting NIL. I hear you. We understand that. We acknowledge that. But also development. I think most kids with good counsel across the board are looking for a place where they can improve as a player and set themselves up to make some real money in the NFL on top of what they probably made at the NIL uh, level. Um, and to be real now for Tennessee, Josh Heupel develops his guys. And it's not just something you're saying. It's not just something that you're putting on a t-shirt. Like you're seeing this now from a couple of different quarterbacks that have come through Knoxville and played for Josh Heupel. Hennon Hooker is a great example. You always saw the ability for him early in his career at Virginia Tech. Kind of struggled at different points. Couldn't really ever get it going. Transfers out to, to Tennessee. And in two years in Tennessee has his best completion percentage of his career back-to-back -back years right around 69%. Previously was right in that 63 percentile. And then becomes a top three-round pick. So he went from struggling to win the starting job at Virginia Tech to transferring and being a top three-round pick and really was a Heisman Trophy contender until he got hurt. A lot of that is Josh Heupel's system. A lot of that is Josh Heupel's development. And Hennon Hooker being able to lean into that is obviously a huge part of it. That's not to take anything away from Hennon Hooker, but I think if you're watching at the high school level and saying, okay, Hennon Hooker before Josh Heupel and after Josh Heupel, yeah, I think I feel pretty good about going and trusting him with my future and my development. Joe Milton, also a great example. And Joe Milton, people are going to have a strong opinion on and say, well, they, he didn't do what Hennon Hooker did. Yeah, different player than Hennon Hooker. You probably had aspirations for a New Year's Six Bowl yet again if you're a Tennessee fan, and that didn't happen. But still, I think Joe Milton improved tremendously from the time he got to Tennessee to now him going and being an NFL draft pick. He struggled at Michigan, y'all. There's a reason he transferred out of Michigan. He also struggled early on in his career at Tennessee. But the fact that he chose to stay at Tennessee, I think speaks volumes to how Joe Milton feels about Josh Heupel. I think it speaks volumes to Joe Milton, how he felt about his development under Josh Heupel. And then you look at what he did once he got back on the field at Tennessee, had a completion percentage of 65%, and played within an offense under Josh Heupel that was very clearly adapted to his skill set. 
That's another big part of this. Josh Heupel has a good understanding of his quarterbacks and what they do well, and he caters the offense to it. So it's not an offense that's confined to one kind of player or one kind of skill set. He's like, whatever you do well, we're going to put you in position to be successful. Joe Milton, I think, had seven rushing touchdowns, was somewhere in the range of a 20 to 5 touchdown interception ratio, throwing the football just shy of 3,000 yards. Like, statistically, had a pretty good season. Tennessee wanted a better year overall, but Joe Milton, from what he was when he got to Tennessee, being labeled inefficient and overthrow Joe to leaving, throwing 65% of his passes as a completion, I think that's that's tremendous progress. And I think Joe Milton's a better quarterback because of his time under Josh Heupel. And I think he would tell you the same. So now if you recruit, I think you understand, if I go to Tennessee, by nature of what these cats have done there, I will get better as a quarterback. And if I get better as a quarterback, and I'm already really talented, I will set myself up for success at the NFL level. And we got to say this now too, like the system itself, I'm a quarterback, man, like... It's a fun offense to play in. It's a fun offense to play in. Not because you're throwing it all around the yard and you're just an aerial attack all day long. No, the fact that it complements your skill set and takes some pressure off of you to where we're going to run the football, we're going to go up tempo, we're going to create matchups for our skill players, we're also going to recruit great skill players like a Mike Matthews. Shout out Mike Matthews, elite player. Um, You're going to be able to put up big numbers, win a lot of football games, and set yourself up for the next level. Like, nothing at Tennessee is wildly complex when it comes to what they ask you to do as a quarterback. We're not giving you a million different, you know, words as your play call, or we're not asking you to do a million different things. They're putting a lot on your plate. Don't get it twisted. It's still a tough position to play. But, I mean, by nature of the throws they're asking you to make, make that deep shot throw. Be consistent in the intermediate game. Uh, Be able to get us lined up. Just function the offense. Run the offense how we need you to run it. We're going to score a lot of points. You're going to shine. We're going to shine. We all win together. So when I talk about the verbiage for Tennessee and and the, the play call, I'm not telling you I have any insight into how they're calling their plays, but I am saying I think by nature of the, the, the offense, you do what they ask you to do, you do it effectively, everybody wins. Everybody wins and you put up big numbers. So Hennon Hooker, again, another example of that. So Josh Heupel, quarterback whisper, Landon, three elite quarterbacks in back-to-back-to-back years. George McIntyre, the most recent land for Josh Heupel. But if you have a quarterback now at Tennessee, if you can have one of those elite guys year in and year out, as a Tennessee fan, you feel pretty good that you have the non-negotiable for success in college football at the Tier 1 level. Like, let's be real here. If you have a quarterback, you have a chance. Look at the college football playoff field this last year. You had Quinn Ewers, you had Jayla Milrow, you had Michael Penix Jr., you had J.J. McCarthy. All four different players, but all four elite at what they did within their respective systems. You have to have that to win the college football playoff nowadays. You have to have it. And so how Josh Heupel is stacking these top quarterbacks, you feel pretty good that you'll have it now for years to come in Knoxville. So keep an eye on those guys. Keep an eye on Nico this year, obviously. I think he's going to have a tremendous season. be fun to watch, but very, very big get for Josh Heupel and his quarterback for 2025 and uh, par for the course, another top dude in the country. Now, speaking of, uh, of head coaches, there's quite a bit of buzz going on right now in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with a one Jim Harbaugh having a second interview with the L.A. Chargers. So obviously, if, if you're a Michigan fan, you start to see the writing on the wall, and you say, okay, it's looking more and more like he's going to take an NFL job. And again, like this wouldn't surprise anybody. 
players included. This wouldn't surprise anybody. And there's some people that are saying, well, he's just, he's just stringing these guys along. He's just trying to wait this thing out as long as possible to where when he leaves, they can't transfer anywhere. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Jim Harbaugh is trying to weigh his options as best as he can and make his best decision. And to be real, he's earned that. You just won a national championship. You've earned the right to weigh your options for what's best for you and your family going forward and your personal professional goals. I think it's extremely fair for him to take the time that he's taken right now. But going back to what I just said, the players, I believe internally, if he were to take an NFL job, there would not be this tremendous sense of shock and awe. It would be, okay, that makes sense. There was flirtation now for three separate years. He leaves for the NFL. Yeah, we kind of saw that coming. But there's a, a name that's being floated on some hot boards when you talk about who could be next at Michigan that I think deserves a little bit of conversation right now. Not because it's valid, but because I think it just, quite frankly, is uh, a talking point overall nationally right now. Brian Kelly from LSU, for whatever reason, consistently gets thrown in there when it comes to the Michigan head coaching potential vacancy. Now, I've talked to people close at Michigan. They say, not at all. Brian Kelly himself during LSU press conferences said, hey, this is the last stop for me as a head coach. Like, I'm not taking the Michigan job. So say what you want about that. But that's, that's the way that it looks. There's, there's no real smoke when it comes to anybody that's close to the situation. Um, in a vacuum now, let's, let's walk this out. Brian Kelly is one of the best head coaches in college football. Like, throughout the course of his career, he's won 70% of his games. To play devil's advocate, Brian Kelly is a really good head coach. And he's a proven, like, there's, there's no wondering with Brian Kelly. You know what you're getting with him. He's a proven commodity as a head coach. You could do a lot worse than hiring someone who's won 70% of their games throughout their career. And Brian Kelly's coached a lot of games. So he's a great football coach. So why would you not want to hire him is really the question. I think to put it simply, Brian Kelly, being a great football coach, could be a great fit at Michigan in the long run. But the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Like, if you were to hire Brian Kelly right now, a couple of things would happen. One, I have to believe it would decimate your roster. If you don't believe me, look at Washington, look at Arizona, look at Alabama. Like, they would probably, I think, make pivots for other places. I don't know who specifically, but given the track record of these coaching changes in the college football world, that 30-day transfer portal window, I think would impact Michigan in a negative way. That's the first part. The second part of this is, if you're Michigan, where do you go to replenish your roster? Who else is making a coaching change at this point in the year? Nobody. So the players you have to draw from to fill those spots that you would lose are of a lesser quality than what you lost. So to put it simply, like it's not worth it for your roster. It's not worth it to blow that up right now. Don't do it. I don't get it. Wouldn't make any sense. I don't think that's what should happen. What I would say, too, is this would be intensified, this exodus, by... The fact that if I'm a player, like I would, I think, have real questions for my administration as to how much I trust them. And that's not me speaking on a personal level with how this Michigan locker room feels about anybody in power at Michigan. But for our head coach, for Sharon Moore, to have beat Ohio State, beat Maryland, beat Penn State as the acting head coach for us last season with the weight of the world on his shoulders, and you don't want to make him your next head coach? What are we doing here? He's going to be a head coach at some point. Might as well be here where we all love him and know him. 
That would make the most sense to me if I'm a player. So if you were to go outside of what the obvious hire should be here, I think you would have guys that would say, you know what? I'm out. You don't want to make him the next head coach? Peace. I don't, I don't trust what's going on here. I don't trust this next chapter. My guy's Jim Harbaugh. My guy's Sharon Moore. They're not here. I'm not here. See ya. So I think the reason why that's important to note here is hiring Sharon Moore on the opposite side of that is what should happen. I've said it before many times. I'll say it again right now. If you lose Jim Harbaugh to the NFL and you're the powers that be at Michigan, the head coaching search lasts all of 30 seconds, and that's assuming it takes 30 seconds to walk down the hall, walk, walk down the hall, knock on Sharon Moore's office door, and say, hey, coach, congratulations. You're the next head coach here in Ann Arbor. Here's your whistle. Here's your clipboard. Assuming they give him a new one for being the head coach. I don't know. Here's your certificate, whatever it is. You're the next head coach. Press conference in an hour. We'll see you there. Done. How hard was that? Like that's, that's how the hiring process should go should you lose Jim Harbaugh to the NFL. The reason why we feel so strongly about this here, Michigan and their formula for winning is very specific to them. And hiring Sharon Moore ensures that formula stays intact. Like Michigan, the way they won the national championship this past season, it wasn't the way that it's been done over the last couple of years. It's been a little bit unique. It's been recruiting outside the top 10 for the most part. It's been more so an emphasis on development. It's been an emphasis on culture. Culture was a very big reason into why they won the national championship this past season. And keeping Sharon Moore as the head coach for you next year, that would ensure that culture, that championship culture, regardless of guys leaving on your roster for the NFL or for whatever, like that would stay intact. And culture is a thing, man, like special cultures that I believe they have at Michigan. Uh, you don't necessarily just welcome anybody in. That's not to say that you don't bring the right people along if you're you know, a transfer or if you're a freshman. like You bring people up to speed, but they don't want new leadership if you have a strong culture. It's fine how it is. Let's keep the main thing the main thing here. Let's, let's keep it pushing going one way right now. We just want our first. Let's go for a second here, coach. Like we, we don't need you messing with what we got going here. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, is how I would feel if I'm in Ann Arbor. So if you want to avoid a reset, if you want to avoid decimating your roster, you want to avoid upsetting your roster if you're Michigan, you hire Sharon Moore, and you do it very quickly. You do it right away as soon as that news breaks. Moments later, you get a Pete Thamel tweet or, or a tweet from the On3 account that says, Sharon Moore named next head coach at Michigan. Done. So, Again, you could do a lot worse than Brian Kelly. I'm sure there's a lot of guys that would be great hires at Michigan in the long run, that have won a lot of football games, that are cut out for it, that would probably want the job. But at the end of the day, there is one right hire to ensure continued success at Michigan, and that's Sharon Moore. Sometimes the, uh, the juice isn't worth the squeeze there. And you got a lot of juice already in-house with what you've done over the last couple of years with Sharon Moore being a part of that operation under Jim Harbaugh. Appreciate everybody tuned in live, man. Make sure you like the video. We're charging towards over 100 likes. Y'all are a big reason a part of that. I'll ask one more time. You could subscribe to the channel. That would help us tremendously. Totally free. Right around 70% of the audience that's already watching the show is still yet to subscribe. So just double check for me. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Helps us do more of what you want to see. Get a better gauge for your content you want to see and helps us to craft the show accordingly. So thank you for that. All right, now. Speaking of uh, culture and a good thing and a program guy, uh, let's go to everyone's favorite program guy, man, the myth, the legend, producer extraordinaire, Nick Brake. What's up, Nick? How we doing, baby? 
What's up, JD? Good to see you, man. Good uh, to see you. We got a good question from Micah to start off. I love it. Uh, in your opinion, what was the best national championship of the last decade? And um, if you've got time, which national championship loser do you think was the best team? Ooh, that's good. That's real good. I mean, you have to go 65-7. to seven. That's the best national championship game, right? You have to go Georgia-TCU. <laughs> oh, no, I would. Yeah, nail-biter. <laughs> uh, you know, I would actually go at a game that I was fortunate enough to be at as a fan. Only game I ever got to go to as a fan is a national championship game. Rose Bowl, Auburn, Florida State, Jameis Winston, Kelvin Benjamin to win it. I was in like the second to last row of the Rose Bowl. Someone gave my dad tickets the day before the game. We went. It was awesome. Uh, one, the fact that it was at the Rose Bowl itself was like a college football cathedral, sunset over the mountains at kickoff, national championship buzz in a place like that was special. And then those two teams, man, with the season that Auburn had had, I mean, that was the year of the uh, tip six, I guess you'd call it, with uh, the, the touchdown against Georgia to keep them alive in that one. Nick Marshall's playing quarterback for them. Um, the, the kick six with Chris Davis running it back, like that was a special season in college football. And Auburn's year in itself was special under Gus Malzahn. And then on the other side, you had Jimbo Fisher, running the show with the young Jameis Winston. I believe he was a redshirt freshman at the time when they won the national championship. Um, that was a special game, too. It was back and forth. Auburn jumped out early. You're like, this is the year for them. They're the team of destiny. Florida State comes charging back. And uh, the last national title of the BCS era, too. So all those factors, I think, on top of the game that it was, it was close. Um, that was special. So, again, the, the game-winning reception by Kelvin Benjamin in the back of the end zone. A little play action hits him uh, near the scoreboard for a touchdown. Like that was, uh, that was a cool game to be a part of and a cool game to see in person. So I'm biased there. But overall, that game was tremendous. And I think, in recent memory, the best national championship that I've uh, been fortunate to witness. Okay. Big fan of that. And the best national championship loser was the next question? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a really good like one, quick, man. Yeah, we got some more questions. So if you want to come back yeah. to that one. You know, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say one of those Alabama teams that lost to Clemson. Yeah. The, one, I mean, those teams were, were stacked, man. Those teams were stacked. I'll, I'll say one of those teams. Yeah. Okay. Michael Brown. I love says, it. JD, I don't follow high school recruiting like that, uh, but what were some of the four-star NFL quarterbacks playing in conference championships this week when they came out of high school? Four-star quarterbacks. This year, I, should, I probably that's a That's a reach back there. I'm trying to think who even played this past weekend because uh, so, I don't follow the NFL that closely. Jared Goff for the Lions. Nick, help me out here. Josh Allen, there's no way he was a four-star. Uh, well, Josh Allen played Juco. So he played Juco, then went yeah. to Wyoming. So he was probably not even. So there's no way. He had Jared Goff at Cal. Who else even played this weekend? Uh, uh, Mahomes you had played this Mahomes. weekend. I don't think Lamar he was Jackson. a four-star, was he? I'm, Lamar Jackson, I think, was a four-star. Was he? Uh, to Louisville. Well, I'll check Maybe that. a four-star athlete. Regardless, um, yeah, I mean, those are guys that found the right system, it feels like, right? Like Josh Allen, late bloomer. Lamar Jackson. Baker was a walk-on, kinda, kinda wasn't late he? late bloomer. Who was? Baker. Mayfield Baker was a walk on at Texas yeah. Tech. Yeah. He eventually got a scholarship. I mean, I don't. Even, I think he might have been a three star cat out of high school. He had yeah. some. He had like SMU. I think. Yeah. I think he yeah. had like FAU. So he had some offers, but yeah, I mean, guys that developed and found the right system and stuck at it, man. Michael stuck Brown, what a question to ask. Really cool, cool question. Um, making us think pretty hard, though. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I bet Jared Goff was in the four star range if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. hey, well, don't quote me on that. But. If he asked that to Josh Newberg in the inside scoop. Do you think he, I think he'd. I bet he would have a good game. That's our recruiting yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah he, dude, he's, he's, he's dialed. He's as yeah. dialed as it gets. Now, J.D., if, if someone asked you who started left tackle in the 
2004 BCS or the national <laughs> championship, you'd probably tell me, wouldn't you? Dude, dude, I would have to go back and look at that one. I couldn't <laughs> yeah. tell you off the top of the dome. I don't know, Jay. I think you'd do it. Uh, next question, Ben says, J.D., uh, will Tennessee make the SEC championship in 2024? Ooh. Not impossible. Is it likely? I think there's some other teams I'd put ahead of them. I think Georgia's got to be the front runner. Texas, what they've done in the portal and who they have coming back and Queen Ewers running the show and Steve Sarkeesian, like they're going to be a force in the SEC from day one. Ole Miss too, man. Like it's, it's a deep, it's a deep conference now in the SEC. You don't know what Alabama's going to be. I mean, that's a question mark in of itself. Um, so I wouldn't pick Tennessee today to be in the SEC championship. I will say Nico Iamaliava is kind of that wild card for us, where we know he's talented. We think he's going to be a tremendous player throughout the course of his collegiate career. It's not just about the quarterback, but we've seen quarterbacks straight up just take over college football seasons. And could Nico do it? Far be it for me to tell you he can't. I would, I would probably not pick Tennessee to be in the SEC title game today. But uh, you know what? Ask us again in the fall, and we'll have a better answer for you. Uh, give, JD, us, give us a first month of the season. How about that? JD, I got to make sure I read this next question perfectly because uh, Ray Potter says I need to go because I can't read the question. Are they correctly. chirping you? Yeah, I'm getting a little chirping. Um, but yeah. this next question, I'll read it perfectly. <laughs> um, Sportify Unlimited. Is Will Howard an upgrade at Ohio State? Seems like a horizontal move from Kyle McCord. Oh, excuse me. Didn't say Kyle. From McCord. From McCord. Okay, yeah. Well, hey, one, I thought that was tremendous. I, I, I wouldn't let you chirp him. <laughs> laugh, laugh my guy. Laugh my guy here in the chat. Um, what I would say, though, there for Will Howard, I understand the thought by nature of what he does throwing the football. I don't know exactly how they stack up if you're going to look at like the, the fine print and watch him in a pro day. Like I think they're probably comparable to a degree i would say there's a couple of things that i love about will howard that kyle mccord did not have for will howard played a lot of football kyle mccord as well as he did last year for ohio state will howard has played like four seasons of college football he's got a big 12 title to his name like he's been there done that hasn't done it in the big 10 but like i don't think he's going to be in a lot of spots that are going to overwhelm him second part of this i said this a lot especially when will howard committed to ohio state the mobile element that he brings for you at quarterback is something they have not had since Justin Fields. That's not dunking on C.J. Stroud. That's not dunking on Kyle McCord. But to have some mobility, to even have something the defense has to think about on fourth and one that, hey, this could be a quarterback keep. Hey, this could be quarterback power. Hey, on, on third and six, we got to kind of keep somebody home to spy Will Howard or at least keep a pair of eyes on him to make sure he doesn't run off and, and get a first down against us. Like that whole element that you have to factor in now for Will Howard I think it's definitely an upgrade. That's how I feel about it personally. Sounds good. Hey, I got I got a thumbs up this time from Ray. So there we go. Ray. I did better there. I'm back in form. There we go. Uh, baby. This is a good question from Jared Stidham. How surprised will you be if an X Pac-12 team will win ten out of the, or excuse me two out of the three new conferences next year? I think Big 12 is going to happen. JD, what do I you think, think? Yeah. So the the question is X Pac-12. So that would probably be Utah from the Big 12 mm -hmm. would be my horse there. From the Big 10. It'd be Oregon or Washington. I probably would take, or you, I guess you could go USC there. I'm not sure about Miller Moss just yet. Two out of the three. What's the third one they're referring to here? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Um, I guess it would be. Well, I mean, assuming that there's a conference that next year the two currently unhoused teams will oh, okay. go play for. Man, I, I don't think it's wildly unlikely. Again, it wouldn't be my pick right now. I'd probably have to lean towards Utah winning the Big 12 as we mm -hmm. sit here in January. Man, with what Ohio State's done through the portal, I yeah. think Oregon's been crushing it in the portal too. I mean, they're mm -hmm. one of our portal winners. 
I have a hard time picking anybody over Ohio State as we sit here in January. That's not a prediction. That's not a pick. I'm just saying I don't know that I feel confident to pick anybody over them as we sit here right now. But if you were to pick someone, I think Oregon's probably your best bet. Oh, I see Stanford yeah. and Cal in the ACC. Shout out, Jared. Yeah, getting Jared, that's, after it. That's a good getting after it. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. Well done. Yeah. Good stuff there. Which, you know. Yeah. How much sense does that work? That's good stuff. We'll I'd be see. surprised if they won the ACC. But I think, but so two out of three there to answer his question, mm-hmm. yeah. not, not unrealistic. Not unrealistic at yeah. all. Yeah. And, and Michael Brown uh, says that's a good question. Says good Arizona question. or Utah winning the Big 12. So there's that. Yeah. Not sure if Oregon has enough to beat out Ohio State. So really very similar to what you said. Keeping and then North obviously, said, home. Tetaroa McMillan, too, from Arizona. Those are big, yeah. big keeps for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, got a couple more questions, JD. Uh, the truth said, J.D., roster full of three-star dudes with a great coach or roster full of five-star dudes with a terrible coach. Also, uh, would your what would your offensive philosophy be? So, J.D., what do you want? Five three-star guys with a great coach, or do you want the five-star dudes with a terrible coach? I like that, man. I like that. So here's, here's where my brain went when we got that question. And this is going to sound super negative, but I promise you it's not. We kind of saw a five-star roster at Texas A&M not have the proper direction. Now, Jimbo Fisher, I'm not saying he's a terrible coach. That's very far from the truth. Dude has a national championship trophy to prove that he's not a terrible coach. But we understand now that roster did not have the correct direction. Otherwise, Jimbo Fisher would still be the head coach. So I look to a roster full of three stars, a roster full of guys that are maybe late bloomers. I look at Arizona. If you put A&M and Arizona on the same field yesterday, or I guess this past season, like, Arizona beat the brakes off those boys, dude. So I would I would actually take Arizona if that's my three-star comp, if we're assuming it's like that kind of situation. I'll take the three stars. Now, my philosophy offensively, I'm partial to like the Josh Heupel, um, Jeff Lebby kind of system where we're going to spread you out. All right, we're going to take all 53.3 yards of width of this field, make you cover all of it. We're going to go up-tempo now. We're going to run the football. And then when your safeties try and crash or you try and add in that linebacker, we're just going to start wheeling and dealing around the yard. So kind of that lebby hypo uh, sort of system where we're going to just make you say uncle and equalize you with the tempo. So not to get too in the weeds there, but that's the kind of system that I, that I would run. And also, uh, that's the kind of system that I think college football is trending towards. And uh, if you don't take my word for it, Kirk Herbstreit said the same thing this past spring, summer at the uh, NIL Elite Series event. Um, sidebar here, Nick, it's going to take a while to get used to all these conference realignment moves, dude. Yeah, I was Stanford like, and Cal in the, S- in, yeah. in the ACC, <laughs> SMU. Like, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're musical chairs here, brother. I mean, that's we knew that, but like for that to actually be the mm-hmm. case here and to try to walk that out when it comes to next season, that's wild. That's yeah. absolutely wild. We thought that this year's uh, little inclusion with the big t- uh, 12 teams coming in, um, Cincinnati, U- UCF, we, we thought that was Dude, like a, an appetizer. It, it didn't even set the stage. Remember this past summer where we're like, what were we like, a month, two months away from the season? Mm-hmm. And all the conference realignment stuff started swirling. You got Oregon and Washington moving to the Big Ten. Uh, you, you got uh, Cal and Stanford to the ACC. Like You got all these moving pieces. You got Utah to the Big 12 with Colorado and, and Arizona. Like All those things happening right before the season started. It was like, dude, can we just play football? Yeah. Can we please just kick off? Like, I want week zero so badly. I don't want to talk about TV contracts and mm. these other teams <laughs> moving for a better bag at other places. I get it. We've got to talk about it. We will talk about it, but you know us. We're partial to Saturdays. We're partial to them actually playing football, but it is yeah. what it is. We were talking about Apple TV deals and 
oh, stuff dude. like that, and like how there's games on the CW. Yeah, that it's always an interesting time of year, but it certainly uh, doesn't compare to talking about the games. But you were crucial in that because we were talking through like MLS on Apple TV because yeah. that, that was a thing, and it and you're dialed in there. Yeah, which I mean, it's so hard to compare MLS to college football because they're two different beasts. Obviously, college football is going to be consumed by many, many more people. It was all we had to go off of, though, right? It was I mean, all we had MLB, to go off of. Like... And I don't know if Apple TV on ML the MLS would have survived if Leo Messi didn't come to the MLS because that kind of what saved him. Yeah. But, J.D., an interesting way to leave this show today. Uh, the Truth says, J.D., I'm an old-school type of guy. Out of 85 plays... I'm running the ball 55 to 60 times. Big athletic, physical line, oh, just yeah. saying. So that, that goes back to this question we, I saw earlier in the chat that I didn't get to, uh, talking about kind of what kind of offense you would run if you, you were a college football coach. So uh, what, what do you think? No, I love that. So I, I was just saying a second ago, I would go like the spread you out, hypo and levy kind of offense. But if you're going to go ground and pound, like I really think it does kind of depend on your conference too. Like one of the unpopular takes that we got on my Twitter page was more teams should run the triple option. And at first I was like, ah, uh, I don't know about that. And I still kind of feel like, I don't know about that. It's unpopular for a reason, but the methodology behind that isn't super far off because the thought process behind being ground and pound, take the air out of the football is you kind of level the playing field where if we can just get three yards of carry, we're getting 9.9 .9 yards, give or take, or if we're 3.3 yards of carry, 9.9 .9 yards. That's, that should be a first down if we get a healthy lean the right direction with our ball carrier. Like, we're keeping the ball in our hands. We're making it low scoring. You're not touching the football. So the, the methodology there isn't wildly, I think, irresponsible to be like, hey, we're going to run the football. It's what we're going to do. It's going to be who we are. Um, if you can do that and be successful, more power to you. The only thing with that, though, the margin for error becomes razor thin. Like, you have to get points on your drives, whether it's seven or whether it's three. And also, you cannot turn the ball over. Because if you get down 10-0 and you're a strictly run-the-football team and you're not scoring on pretty much every drive, like, then things start to get difficult for you because you got to play catch-up and you're racing against the clock. So that whole thing is kind of a slippery slope. Um, but when it comes to, like, watching it, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of it. I know it's kind of a, a hot take in some sense, but, like, just seeing good physical trench warfare football being played and being executed like that kind of fires you up a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. So I, I see both sides. If it's me, though, we're wheeling and dealing. We're spreading you out. We're scoring points, baby. Mm -hmm. Hey, really quick, J.D., do you, I missed this one from Ben. Uh, thanks for pointing that out. Uh, it says, will Nico Iomaliava win a Heisman during his tenure at Tennessee? Oh, man. Will he win a Heisman? It's hard to do. but It's hard to do. See, it's tough because like, I could just sit here and say yes, and that'd be a lot of fun. There's a lot that has to happen with the Heisman Trophy. Like, there are many number one draft picks who are the best player in college football that don't win the Heisman because you also have to have the best season and your team has to play well and you have to be on the right stages. So, I mean, going off of the numbers, I would say no. But when you look at Nico's ceiling, it's, it's definitely in the card. So I'll say no to kind of hedge my bet, but that doesn't mean I don't think he'll still have a tremendous career and I don't think he'll be a guy that's in that conversation for the Heisman Trophy, and as a result, have Tennessee flying high. So we'll revisit that. We'll come back to it, and we'll give, our, give you our thoughts when we get a little further into the Nico era. But regardless, yep. going to be fun. It's going to be fun. going to be fun. Yep. Hey, Nick, I appreciate you, brother. Yes, sir. Hey, I'll see you tomorrow. Let's ride. Tomorrow it is. Again, appreciate you all that are tuned in live right now. Before you get out of here, 
hit that subscribe button so we can do the content that you want to see. Want to get your own popular takes? Going to get back to those tomorrow. Also, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's Thursday, haven't decided yet, going to do our post-transfer portal top teams. So let me know how you feel about that, which day you want to see that on. We'll get that to you, but regardless, man, we appreciate y'all being tuned in. This is our time of the year. The games have stopped. Transfer portal cycle starting to wind to an end. The first signing period is behind us. Right now, it's us on this show talking ball. It's message boards and intel for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It is full game reruns on YouTube. It is breaking out the NCAA 14 game until they give us the new one. We are surviving. We are college football junkies this part of the year. It's where we shine, baby. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.